in the living Word of God to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, starting in verse 7. John 4, we'll read from 7 through verse 15. Hear the Word of God. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your living word. Thank you that you've given it to us to apply. And we do pray that we would be not only hearers, but doers of your word, that uh, we would listen, that you give us ears to hear, hearts to understand and obey your word. We love you. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, we pray. Amen. Well, I've been thinking about thirst for more than a few months, so I've been kind of thirsty for a while lately, and as I was uh, getting thirsty on some of these weeks that I've been studying uh, passages re- regarding the thirst, thirst after God, God reminded me, I, I like to read Louis L'Amour Western novels. I don't know if some of you know that, it's almost like a confession, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm not, sorry, sorry that I do, but some of those novels begin with uh, a man, a cowboy, of course, and he's alone in the desert. And he's in this desert, and of course his, his horse is dead, you know, got shot out from under him. His canteen's empty. And he's stumbling through the desert, and he's dying of thirst, basically. And he's just able to put one foot in front of the other. He can barely go forward, but he knows that if he stops, he is dead. So he's putting one foot forward, he's, he's uh, you know, looking for water. And of course, as the reader, you know, he's the protagonist, he's the main character of the book. This is the beginning of the book, he's going to find water. Uh, but, and usually he does it, you know, he sees a bee, and, or he sees a bird, or he sees some animal tracks, or something like that. But you know he's going to find water. Um, and reading these, uh, this kind of book made me think about how, what did he feel like? And Louis L'Amour goes into pages and pages of what it was like for this man in the desert, physically, and what he felt, and what he was thinking I don't know if Louis L'Amour walked through a desert. He probably did, but he wrote it very well. And so uh, I got to thinking, here's a man, and with every cell in his body, he knows that he needs water. And if he doesn't get it, he, he is dead. And so the, the question I'm asking today in the title of the sermon is, how thirsty are you? Of course, I'm going to be talking uh, about spiritual thirst. But there are many times in the scriptures that uh, the Lord uses uh, a picture of physical thirst to describe Uh, what we should be like. And uh, I guess another question would be, do you long for a relationship with the Lord like uh, this man longed for water? Every part of him longed for water, and he needed it desperately. Now, several weeks ago, excuse me, Rodney shared from Psalm 42 and 43. Actually, I think it was maybe several months ago. Rodney shared uh, this verse. As the deer pants for the water water brooks, So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So I've been thinking about this for some time. Uh, Even before Rodney uh, spoke about that, I've been thinking about my thirst for God. And then I got to thinking, I love my my fellowship here. I, I love my brothers and sisters. I wonder how their thirst is. And I don't know if you know this, but Phil and Rodney and I often pray that you would be essentially be thirstier and that uh, you would know the joy of uh, panting for God and the satisfaction of him meeting that thirst. And so, <clears throat> thirst for God, by the way, <clears throat> excuse me, is another way of saying desire. 
And often in Scripture, if you looked at the word uh, thirst, uh, it's a synonym for strong desire. Not only strong, but uh, actually uh, passionate and panting. You know, it's called a craving uh, after him. So we're not just talking about a little bit here. We're talking about a passionate craving for God, which Psalm 42, the verse we just read, mentions. And I never want there to be a time in my life when I am not more thirsty for him, when I'm not seeking to know him more and to enjoy his presence more. And I don't want a mediocre walk with God. I don't want a distant walk from God. I don't want a lax relationship with, or a desire for him. Nor should anyone redeemed of the Lord ever be content in that situation. So my goal today basically is to share what is uh, thirst like, uh, to stimulate thirst, uh, of course, um, which is the goal of every sermon, every communion meditation. And uh, I'll be using some physical analogies, of course, sometime, as I said. And so maybe when we're finished here, there'll be a rush to the water fountains. I don't know. Uh, but I hope there, there is a rush to, uh, for you to think about, well, how is my thirst right now? And I hope that is, uh, will motivate you. Now, to do this, I'd like to share just a handful of passages. So we're going to be flipping through those. And uh, hopefully you have your Bibles and uh, would, would do that with me. And so we'll look at a handful of passages And then uh, at the end of those, I'm going to suggest a few ways of how to develop your thirst. Now, in a physical sense, it sounds strange, you know, to be wanting to be thirsty. You know, people don't want to be thirsty. They want to be satisfied. You know, people don't like thirst. You know, most people now, I remember when I was on campus, everybody had a bottle of something. I don't know. I think it was mostly water, but, uh, or coffee or pop or something. And some of those drinks actually don't slake thirst. But anyway... They were drinking something. The people don't like to be thirsty. But as Christians, I'm talking about our spiritual thirst, of course. Uh, there should never be a time when we are not thirsty and growing in our thirstiness. We should be hungry and thirsting uh, to be nearer to the Lord. And uh, this is because uh, as we become thirsty for a closer walk with the Lord and uh, for a closer relationship with him, he has said that he can fulfill that kind of thirst. And even enlarge our capacity for it. In fact, that's maybe one of the main points of all of, all of this is, as a believer, you've all been thirsty at points. You know, it maybe comes and goes, but uh, it should be increasing. And uh, God wants to increase your capacity to enjoy more of the living water. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or satisfied. Now, God initiates spiritual thirst, and he initiates it for the very purpose of satisfying it. And we've been talking, as Phil mentioned, we've been talking about having our souls satisfied with him alone. And as you think about this coming year, you might want to ask yourself, uh, am I ready for that? Am I seeking that? How was my previous year in my hunger and thirst for the living God? Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary on Psalm 42, said this, The next best thing to living in the light of the Lord's love is to be unhappy until we have it and to pant hourly after it. So basically he was saying, uh, the, the panting for the living water is the next best thing to drinking the living water. We should all be thirsting for him. Jonathan Edwards wrote in, uh, on the same passage, spiritual good is of a satisfying nature. And for that very reason, the soul that tastes and knows its nature and will, will thirst after it and a fullness of it that it may be satisfied. And the more he experiences and the more he knows this excellent, unparalleled, exquisite, and satisfying sweetness, the more earnestly he will hunger and thirst for more. So, brothers and sisters, as always, when we want to understand our relationship with the Lord, we turn to the Word. So if you would turn back with me to the passage that we read earlier. This is in John chapter 4, the Gospel of John. And I will not read all of those. Uh, I'd like to start... um, in uh, verse 10. But you all know this passage. This, he's speaking again to the woman of Samaria who's getting water at the well. And she was thirsty for water, of course, but the kind that only temporarily satisfies. And uh, Jesus knew that she would be thirsty for living water, which can satisfy the heart and the soul eternally. So let's start in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where, do you, where then do you get that living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. So the woman had come to draw at the well, which she probably did uh, once at least, maybe twice a day. Now usually I think uh, the women would come to the wells in the morning. It's cooler and they would all come and probably socialize. This woman came at the sixth hour, which is noon, the heat of the day. Uh, probably she was avoiding people. She didn't have the best reputation. And I'm sure she would have been happy not to come there at all and you know, pull water out of this well. Now, I, in several dictionaries I read, it said likely this well, in this particular well, was 100 to 150 feet deep. You know, water's heavy. And she didn't want you know, to keep coming to do that, but she had to do that. Uh, but of course, Jesus was in this process not he's talking about physical water but mostly about uh, himself and the living water the holy spirit and uh, he was guiding her to think about meeting her thirst uh, the thirst in her heart which actually she was rather numb to she was numb to that thirst and her lifestyle showed it she had five husbands the one she was with wasn't her husband uh, right now so she had thirst and but she was enslaved by them they weren't satisfying her she wasn't finding any satisfaction and uh, th- it was kind of a gnawing kind of thing to her, I believe. And I believe there, uh, you could say there are uh, three kinds of thirst. First of all, uh, she, I think, had what you'd call the thirst of an empty soul. So she'd never experienced any of the living water at this point, And uh, she doesn't know the only source of life and satisfaction and joy. She didn't know the Lord Jesus. And uh, people like her just aren't able to drink of him. So, what do they do? They look to fill their inner gnawing with things or with people, but they're never satisfied. Never. And then, secondly, there's a person you might call uh, a dry soul. This would be someone who has tasted of the living water and could drink more from him, but for for some reasons that we'll look at later, actually, their heart's dry, and they're not really drawing upon him. They've experienced some refreshment in the past from the living water, but for some reason, they're not drinking much now. They're not meeting with the Lord. They're not enjoying his presence. And then the third person, a third kind of thirst, I think, would be the thirst of a satisfied soul. Or you could also say the thirst of a satisfied soul who is also still thirsty, who is growing in thirst. They're satisfied, they want, and they're still thirsty, and they want to be more thirsty. And this is someone like David who made it a practice to commune with the Lord. He made it his habit. He had a habit of drinking of the living water, more and more of the living water of the Holy Spirit. And yet still, he desired more. We, he saw, we saw that he was panting after it like a deer, pants after water. And because God was uh, you know, increasing his capacity, uh, he longed to meet with God continually. And in Psalm 107, it says, he satisfies the longing soul. He satisfies the longing soul. But back to this passage. Jesus uh, knew that this woman needed him. That he is the only water which can satisfy the deep longings of the soul. The living and the eternal and the refreshing water. The continual growing presence of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus talks about the fountain of water springing up into everlasting life, he's referring to himself in the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's like if you picture a fountain, everybody's seen a fountain. I think we have one or two, I don't know, in Omaha. But anyway, there's a fountain and it's springing and it's, uh, water's flowing, conti- it seems like continually. You know, where's that water coming from? Well, in most cases, it's repumped uh, back up. But anyway, it looks like it's continual. And this fountain is, uh, the, the picture I want you to have, though, is the overflowing kind. The kind where, okay, the water's coming out and it usually goes down into a bowl or a basin And then that fills up, and then it's overflowing, and it's going all over, and it's refreshing everybody around it. That's what we want to be. This is the kind of satisfaction and the kind of influence which we should long for and which we can have uh, in and through our relationship with the Lord Jesus. We should pant for it. And that kind of fountain flowing from us, that kind of growing longing, will impact everybody around us. 
If you would turn with me now to just a little farther in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, Gospel of John, verse 37. I seem to be getting thirstier <clears throat> as I speak. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, this is the Feast of Booths, by the way, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, <clears throat> If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, that would be at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now this is the Feast of Booths. It had, actually, as I studied it, uh, a number of names. It was Feast of Booths, if you say that correctly. Uh, the Feast of Huts. It was the Feast of Ingathering because it was a harvest festival. And <clears throat> this festival is one of the the three large ones that were celebrated. There's, uh, first of all, of course, the Feast of Passover, there's the Feast of Pentecost, and then there's the Feast of, of uh, Tabernacles. And <clears throat> the way I understood it as I studied this, this was a very joyful celebration. They were not uh, just sitting around here. Uh, this is a, a very happy day. It was like combining uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving in the 4th of July, I believe, probably, for us. And so during this uh, feast, the high priest would take a pitcher, it was a golden pitcher, and he would walk in procession. So people were following him, and he would walk in procession, and he'd go to the pool of Siloam. And I, as I understand it now, it's one of the principal water sources of Jerusalem. So he'd go to this pool, and he'd take this golden pitcher, and he'd dip it in the water, and then he'd carry it back, again, and people following him, he'd carry it back to the temple, and he would pour it on the altar. He'd pour it on the altar of sacrifice. And basically, I think there were two reasons here, as far as I could understand. First of all, uh, they were admitting that they needed rain. They needed moisture to survive. They needed rain for their crops. If, if they didn't get that, if there was a drought, uh, they'd have no food, and they would die. They would perish. So that was uh, maybe the first reason. <clears throat> and the second reason would be because they were looking forward to the Messiah, the one who would pour out his spirit. And uh, at the moment, uh, actually, I believe on the eighth day, the priest did not. That was the one day he did not pour out the water because the Spirit had not yet been poured out. The Messiah had not yet come. But Jesus, at the last, uh, at the moment, I'm sorry, at the moment when the Levites, uh, when, uh, after he had poured out uh, the water, the Levites would blow trumpets. And the crowd would cry out, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's from uh, Isaiah 12. And there would be leaping, there would be dancing, there would be shouting, singing, and uh, praising God, singing hallelujah. And it was right at this point, I believe, that Jesus stood up in the crowd and with a loud voice, probably had to be a loud voice, cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What kind of reaction did that give, I wonder? <clears throat> And Jesus cried out to let them know that he was the source of the living water. He pointed to himself, the Messiah, and that, and that the Holy Spirit would soon be poured out. He was claiming to be the Messiah here, and that whoever believes in him would have rivers of living water flowing from his heart. And brothers and sisters, those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus as their Savior from sin and death have the Spirit dwelling in them, and so the longing of our souls can be filled and we can be refreshed and satisfied, and we can and should be refreshing others around us, like the overflowing fountain. In verse 38, Jesus said, uh, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, <clears throat> I believe one of uh, the verse, or there are several possibilities, but probably the verse he was referring to, or the passage, was in Isaiah 44. And if you would turn with me back to Isaiah. Isaiah 44, verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> Isaiah 44, verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> For I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and floods on the dry ground. 
I will pour my spirit on your descendants, that is our covenant children, and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the water courses. I'd like to read at this point a somewhat lengthy um, passage that uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote in a little book uh, which we have at home, and maybe many of you have this. It's, uh, uh, it's called uh, Morning and Evening. It's a book of devotions. And he has a great passage on this, uh, Isaiah 44.3. <clears throat> Are you this morning thirsting for the living God and unhappy because you cannot find him to the delight of your heart? Have you lost the joy of religion? And is this your prayer? Quote, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. End quote. Are you conscious also that you are barren like the dry ground, that you are not bringing forth the fruit unto God, which he has a right to expect of you, that you are not so useful in the church or in the world as your heart desires to be? Then here is exactly the promise which you need. I will pour water upon him who is thirsty. You shall receive the grace you so much require, and you shall have it to the utmost reach of your needs. Water refreshes the thirsty. You shall be refreshed. Your desires shall be gratified. As water quickens sleeping vegetable life, you meant plant life, your life shall be quickened by fresh grace. Water swells the buds and makes the fruits ripen. You shall be made fruitful in the ways of God. Whatever good quality there is in divine grace, you shall enjoy it to the full. All the riches of divine grace you shall receive in plenty. You shall be, as it were, drenched with it. And as sometimes the meadows become flooded with, by the bursting rivers and the fields are turned into pools, you, so shall you be. The thirsty land shall be springs of water. Dare we allow ourselves to thirst for the presence of our Lord? It's a rhetorical question. Not the thirst of occasion, but the thirst of necessity. He's meaning the deep, passionate thirst for God. When one has been deprived of water for days, every cell in his body cries out for it. We who have been away from the presence of God, the experience of the personal and intimate presence of the Almighty One, know that thirst. We can only experience His fullest supply if we have the deepest longings. They go together. And John Piper has uh, a similar uh, phrase to uh, this of Charles Spurgeon. He said we can only experience His fullest supply if we have His deepest longings. John Piper said... Uh, the deeper our need, the greater his supply. And he also said, I believe he's probably famous now for this quote, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. <clears throat> Back to Isaiah 44.3. God will pour water his Holy Spirit, out on his people to those who are thirsty and to their descendants, praise God. We should be praying for our children, our uh, physical and spiritual descendants. We should be praying that our descendants would be even thirstier than we ever were. That they would spring up and grow tall like willows by the watercourses. I don't know if you know, if see, any tree will grow if it's planted by water fairly well, but a willow is a fast-growing tree. And if you are planted there, you will grow. If our children and our sons and daughters, our descendants are planted there, they will grow. Uh, We should pray Psalm 144, verse 12. May our sons be as plants grown up in their youth. Meaning, they're strong plants, even in their youth. They're already grown up. They're strong. We should pray that our children will be thirsty souls, satisfied in Christ alone, and not looking for any other way to satisfy the longing in their hearts and in their soul. And that they will know who they are and they will know whose they are. We should be praying that. We should memorize this verse and pray this verse. If you turn with me also in Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 2. Ho! Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your labor, or I'm sorry, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. 
Let your soul delight itself in abundance. And this is telling us that we should not hesitate to come for more of the living water. It's offered freely to his children. And we sometimes spend our resources for for that which does not satisfy. But he calls us to eat what is good and to drink and to let your soul delight itself in abundance. There's no asceticism here at all. He's saying there's plenty. Come and take it. And in John Piper, he called it Christian hedonism. There's a term for you. The first time I saw that, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. That was the first thing I read by John Piper. I thought, okay, I don't know if I should even read this book. But Christian hedonism, he's saying, with everything you have, you should be thirsting for God. And this is, I believe in that book, Desiring God. And now I see what he means. That's the way we should be thirsting. And it was interesting to me, the more I studied passages, and there are more than we're going to look at this morning, but the more I studied passages on thirsting for God, I, I, I saw uh, words like floods. I mean, I don't know how many times it said floods of water and rivers of water pouring out, running over in abundance. So we're not meant to just be a little refreshed by the presence of the living God. We're not meant to just have enough to get by. We're not meant to be content with enjoying them just a little. We were created and recreated to be filled with the Spirit, overflowing to everybody around us, enjoying Him, to the fullest. Would you turn with me to Psalm 42, which we've already talked about. Psalm 42. I'll just read the first four verses. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they, say, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. So the psalmist here, David, is, his heart and soul is panting to know the living God, to be near him, in the temple. He wanted to go to the temple often to be in his presence. He thirsted for the living God, the only one who has living water. And he remembered how joyful it was to go with uh, others, to go with the assembly to the temple, to meet with God and to worship him there. And he remembers having his dry soul, the, the thirst of his dry soul met. He, his dry soul was watered there. And as he sought the Lord, as he sought the Lord, and as he worshiped him with the multitude, now, we don't, praise the Lord, have to go to a certain physical place anymore to do that. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We can seek him at all times. But being together as we are right now is a means of God to make us long for a closer walk with him. And if we take this meeting together lightly, if we ever do that, it will have an impact on our hearts and on our thirst. He is present now with his assembled children. And we risk dryness by not being here or by not being prepared for worship. And I'll share a little bit about that later. If you would turn with me to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Again, David said, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall, he shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, will, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me. And answer me. When you said, Seek my face, God is commanding. My heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. And again, David wants to be where God is. He wants to be with God. He wants to worship Him in the temple. And we see in verse 4 that this is a very strong desire, of course. It's, a, it's his a primary thirst. So he sought the Lord. It's his primary desire. One thing I have desired... Reminded me of uh, Mary, Mary and Martha. And Mary said she knew that one thing was needful, to sit at the Lord's feet. So David made efforts to seek him more, and he was never content, apparently, 
uh, with just knowing about God. He wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord. And if he could have, I think he would have just lived there. And in Psalm 84, it seems like that's what he's saying. You know, he notices the birds there, and, and he almost envies them that they live always at the temple, in beholding the Lord. So he, uh, he wanted to live in the temple and to continually offer sacrifices of joy and sing praises. I, one thing I noticed, by the way, as I studied a number of these passages, was that wanting to sing praises to God is a result of a satisfied thirst. And people who have thirsted and have been satisfied, have met with the Lord, they want to sing praises to him, and they're able to do so. And when David uh, became aware that God was drawing him near and commanding him, like God said, seek my face. And David said, your, your face, Lord, I will seek. And I believe that uh, God wants us, through his spirit, is also commanding us this morning to seek him individually, to seek him as families and as a family of families in our congregation. And I hope, I pray, that we would say like David, uh, David, I think, jumped up and said, I'll do that, Lord. I will seek you with my whole heart. I'll do that with every amount of strength and grace you give me. I will seek your face. May it be so. Please turn with me to Psalm 63. By the way, if you'd like, one thought would be to uh, take these passages during the course of a week, maybe, uh, and especially the first week of the year, maybe, and uh, review them and ask God to help you to understand your heart. If you're thirsty for him, if you're not thirsty for him, uh, ask him to give you a heart like this. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary, again here, to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. And again, the satisfied soul, in this case, he's been satisfied with marrow and fatness, uh, but he is a satisfied. He is satisfied physically, and he's saying, uh, you know, my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips, because he is a satisfied, also has a satisfied heart. Now, these verses show us the great longing in the heart of David for intimacy with his God. He was a man after God's heart. This is what it meant, I believe. He sought him earnestly. It says in verse 1, he sought him early. In fact, in the Psalms, it seemed like he sought him all the time. He woke up at midnight and he said he, had, he longed to do that. He woke up, he wanted to wake up and do that. But he sought him early. It also says he longed for him, like you long for water in a dry and thirsty land. And this land certainly is a dry and thirsty place. That's why there's so much about water and, and dryness in the scriptures. It was written in that context. And in verse 2, he said, he looked for him in the sanctuary. He looked. He was looking for God. He expected to find God, to meet him and to find him there. The Lord said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And because David had met God and had been satisfied in those meetings, even when he was dry, drove him to come to God, to to have him meet that thirst. And he wanted more of him. And in verse 5, it says, a satisfied heart... Again, I believe a satisfied heart results in praising God with joyful lips. I'd like to look at just three more uh, brief verses. You don't have to look these up. These are all in the book of Revelation, and they're brief, so I'll just read them. Revelation 7, verse 17. The Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. The Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to fountains of living water. He is still the shepherd of Psalm 23. He is still leading us to still waters, refreshing waters to himself through his Holy Spirit. He wants to refresh and restore our souls. He is leading us. Will we follow? In Revelation 21, verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. I will give of the, wa- the 
fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. This is similar to what we read in Isaiah 55. Revelation 22, verses 1 and 17. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And I noticed in these two verses, the first one in Revelation 21 says, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And there's no lack of supply. He is giving it freely. And the second verse says, whoever, he said, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. He's giving it. He's saying, you can take it. Please do. He wants us to do, to do that. And by his grace, our thirst for him now is preparing for us to enjoy the continual and unhindered drinking of the water of life for eternity. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Let him who, is thirst, who, who thirsts come. Now, C.S. Lewis had an interesting quote that I, think, that I thought related well to this. He said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I thought that was a great quote. And it's true. The thirst of the soul for God shows that we were made for another world, a place where this thirst will be met. And in our case, also, a person in whom it is met. So those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are made for a person who will satisfy their souls and a place, really, of satisfaction. We're made for that. So this developing thirst is part of God's sanctification process. It's part of how we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus until he returns. Now, the Lord knows we need to thirst for him. He knows that because we won't grow in him without thirst. And he's not pleased, actually, without our thirst for him. So, how do we develop thirst? I'd like to share seven ways, brief ways, on how we can do that. I guess a corollary question would be, why are we satisfied and content with so little thirst for the living God? In our devotions or in our worship here, why? Uh, I found an interesting illustration. <clears throat> this is about a ship. This was several hundred years ago. This was a sailing ship. And this ship was uh, damaged. They couldn't sail it any longer. And uh, the men, they were in, the, uh, in a very warm climate <clears throat> when it uh, was damaged. And so they were in a bad situation. They didn't have any water. They were dying of thirst. And finally, they, they were almost dead. Uh, they saw a ship come, and the ship uh, drew as close as it could to this damaged ship. And the men were so thirsty, they didn't want to wait for them to send a, a, a boat over. Uh, so they just cried out, you know, water, just, you know, we need water first. We don't care about anything else. We want water, because they were dying of thirst. And so the, other, the people on the other ship, uh, you know, they're motioning, you know, pointing down, and the, the, the guys on the damaged ship thought, what kind of mockery is this? We're dying of thirst, and they know that, and they're... they're and, and then the, the other ship took a bucket and lowered it down, and they pulled it back, and they drank out of this bucket. And the people on the, the damaged ship said, well, okay. So they let down a bucket, and they pulled it up, and they drank, and it was fresh water. Now, they thought they were in a sea, but they were actually um, several miles, more than several miles off the coast of Brazil, I believe it was. And the Amazon is a fresh, it has fresh water, and it goes miles out into the sea. And there they were, surrounded by fresh water. They were dying of thirst. And they had more than rivers of living water. They had a, a half an ocean, you know, ocean. So, the obvious parallel here is we have to let down our bucket. You know, think of what we have. Think of what we have here. We have freedom in this country to worship him like we are right now, individually and corporately, and as a family. We have, uh, you know, how many Bibles? In each of our homes. I, I, I don't know. We can hear the word expounded in many ways. Praise God. And most of all, well, there are many books to read, of course. Uh, but most of all, we have the omnipresent God who is willing to meet with his children at any time and all the time. And he's commanded us, as we saw, and made a, the water of life freely available to us. Okay, so the first point of how do we develop our thirst and the obvious place to start is ask him. Ask him to make you thirstier for him. How often have you done that? A good time to start is the beginning of the year, of course. 
but any time is okay. Ask him to make you thirsty. That you want to see him. You want to know him like David. And basically, you're asking him to have a holy discontent in terms of how close you are to him. And you can ask often, and you should. But the Lord will always use, by the way, his word when you ask something like this. There are two books in my young Christian life <clears throat> that had a great, great impact on me and on my, on my thirst. I think many of you know these. They're both written by A.W. Tozer. And I'm not saying that I agree with everything theologically that A.W. Tozer said. But in these books, he poured out his heart in a way that I, at that time, could not do. And uh, expressed in words like, like David. And he wrote in the first chapter, which I've basically memorized now because I've read it so often, the chapter is called Following Hard After God. And it's from Hosea 6.3, which I'll share in a minute. But the prayer, this is his prayer. This is what he wrote at the end of that chapter. O God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> of my thirst right now. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. In Hosea 6.3 it says, Let us know, let us press on or pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is sure as the, uh, the morning. He will come to us as the rain like the latter and former rain to the earth. Some translations use press on. Uh, let's press on to know the Lord. Or in the case of uh, A.W. Tozer, it's let us follow hard after God. So how's your pursuit? Philippians 3.10, uh, Paul was saying, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. I believe he cried that out. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Now, this is the beginning of the year. It's a good time to review your personal pursuit of God, your family's pursuit of God. And we are doing that as a session also. Ask God to make you thirsty. Number two, meditate on his word. <clears throat> I think many of you know through Facebook, uh, which I haven't come to appreciate as much as my children, but uh, it can disseminate a lot of uh, information quickly. And some of you know that uh, we butchered a deer. A neighbor dropped a deer off at our house and said, here, butcher it. Uh, we don't, you know, how often have we done that? We needed Scott to help us. But so here's a deer. We have to butcher it. So mostly my wife did it, you know. It was great. And so she skinned it and butchered it. But uh, she, uh, we butchered it all. It took a long time. And then we dried some of it, you know, seasoned it, dried it, and made, made jerky out of it. And it's a little tough. But, uh, you know, meditating is like chewing. It's like, you know, when you, when you chew on that meat, you, you chew on it and chew on it and chew on it until you get all the flavor out of it. And then there's a little bit left, I, I guess you can just throw away. Or you can swallow it, I suppose, but... Uh, meditations like this. We should chew to get everything we can out of the Word of God. We should chew on it, which means constantly be thinking about it. In Psalm 119, um, I like to go through that once a year at least. And each eight-verse section, I pray that God would make me have a longing for His Word like that. I would recommend that. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. In Psalm 1, it says, his, the, the man who is longing for God, basically, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. And he'll be fruitful. It says he'll be prosperous, because he's planted by the living water. So the Lord will always use his word, by the way, through the Spirit's guidance and drawing you to, near to him. And so if you pray, as I said in uh, uh, the first suggestion, was to ask God, if you ask that, uh, and you're not in the Word, basically he'll drive you to the Word. They will go together. God will use his Word in making you thirsty and satisfying your thirst. Number three. Well, we should pray, obviously. We should pray, th especially through the Psalms, I believe. If you think, I, I'm not good at expressing my longing for God, I, but I want to. I want to thirst more for him than pray through the Psalms. And David was a man after God's heart, and he poured out his heart in seeking God, and it helps us a lot if we pray as he did. Now, a couple of ideas regarding prayer. One would be, before coming to worship on Sunday, ask the Lord to help you see him. Ask the Lord to help this congregation to see him together. 
And you can be refreshed, you know, in this time of worship and experience uh, the joy of his presence. And in fact, I believe the Lord's Day was meant to make us thirsty and to meet that thirst to some degree. So, also, I believe uh, fasting and praying is uh, necessary. And it's, in, it's, it's a blessing. And it breaks the, the, your flesh of its constant demands so that you can focus your soul on becoming thirsty for him. In Isaiah 58, this is one of the major passages on fasting, says, Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, I am here. Isaiah said uh, that the Lord will satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Point number four. Get around thirsty Christians. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. If you see some people who are thirsty, now I'm talking about not the first kind of thirsty person, nor the second one, but the third one, who has experienced uh, dryness and thirst and the filling uh, of the Holy Spirit. So get around those kind of people. And you can read them, of course. You can read books by or about George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, uh, Charles Spurgeon, of course, A.W. Tozer. Uh, I just, last year, many of you finished the book, uh, uh, The Christian in Complete Armor, which is a wonderful book by William Gurnall. Uh, just about anything by John Piper, especially Desiring God. Uh, most of you have the book Valley of Vision. Wonderful, delightful book to read to stimulate your, in the morning, in your quiet time. So get around these kind of people. Listen to them, observe them, ask them how they increase their thirst, and pray with them. That's how you see people's, what's on people's hearts. And you'll see their longing. Number five, be in the battle. <clears throat> now, battle really makes you thirsty, right? If you're in a battle, especially the kind they used to have a couple hundred years ago, they're hand-to-hand combat. combat and in fact, sometimes they died from thirst. It wasn't so much from the wounds. They died because they couldn't get water. They were injured. Maybe they couldn't move. They cried out on the battlefield for water. And even in the hospital, that's what they longed for. So... As we are in the battle with the world, and we should be, and we are, uh, we become needy for the living water. In fact, we're driven to seek him if we're in the battle. If we're not in the battle, we can avoid that, I suppose. But we're driven to seek more of the living water because we know we cannot survive without it. You know, we're weak, we're weary, and we need life-giving water. And you know, John Piper wrote a short book, I guess you'd call it. It's a, tra- a gospel tract, actually. And it's called... Um, don't Waste Your Life. Great title. And then he wrote in a devotion in uh, one of his books. I, it might have been in Desire. No, it was in uh, Taste and See. Uh, he, he, said, he wrote a uh, devotional called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Because he got cancer. And he prayed that God, that it would not be wasted. That it would cause him to thirst for God and then overflow to others. And it did. It is do- having that impact through him. And so we should say maybe... Lord, don't waste my dry times. I don't want to waste my dry times. Don't waste my suffering. I don't want to waste my suffering. Let the battle that you are in make you thirsty for him. Not bitter, not angry, not resentful, not fearful. Psalm 119.71 says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. God will use that. Number six, be faithful in daily meeting with the Lord. And basically, don't allow yourself any excuses on this uh, regarding your devotional life. This is a good habit. It increases your thirst. You need to be faithful here, as faithful as you can be by God's grace. In Mark 1.35, it said of Jesus, In the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went out to a lonely place or a solitary place, and there he prayed. We have the example of our Lord Jesus in meeting with the Father in the morning. And basically what I do in a quiet time is it's very uh, simple. Simpler the better, probably. I try, I try, prime the pump, essentially, by reading something like Voice of uh, the Valley of Vision. Uh, then I pray. could be five or ten minutes. Then I read and meditate on the Word. could be ten or fifteen minutes. And then I pray again. So I think it's better to be consistent uh, than to have a two-hour quiet time, which is uh, maybe a challenge just every once in a while. Okay, number seven, last point. Don't drink from the world's broken cisterns. 
And it's easy, it's really easy to spend too much time in the world doing the things the world does and not enough time in the Word. And if you do that, you will become dry. You'll become the second person that I mentioned, the dry soul. And in Jeremiah it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have, and have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So can you picture this? You know, does this make sense? You know, here is the fountain of living water that they could have freely. But what do they do? And what do we do sometimes? They, they went to great effort to hew out of rock a cistern, which is basically a big holding tank for water. You know, what did that take? And then it didn't hold water anyway. And if it did, it was bad water, dirty water. So they spend all their time making a cistern, which becomes worthless, and they don't have time to go to the fountain of living water. May it not be so of us. Now, many people, including Christians, spend, as I mentioned, too much time seeking satisfaction for their emotional thirsts or their communication needs in using the world's systems. Some people use the Internet to satisfy their thirst for communication, for love even, for acceptance. Some seek to meet their inner thirst through just getting busy. Uh, some through entertainment, of course. Entertainment in our country, uh, real, many people are sucked in by that. Sometimes through music. Now, God, I believe God has given music as a gift, a wonderful gift to help us draw near to him and to express the joy in our hearts from our thirsty hearts and satisfied souls to him. Uh, but some music, of course, uh, doesn't do that. It makes us, some music makes us thirsty for him. Some doesn't. And that's all I'm going to say on that topic because we could get in a long discussion and there's no time for that. And I'm not saying that necessarily any of these things are wrong, but in place of the fountain of living water, they are only broken cisterns. And Lord, keep us from them. In Isaiah 29, verse 11, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. May the Lord keep us from hearts that are far from him. He looks on the heart. He desires our worship from the heart. He is honored by our devotion from the heart and by our thirst to know him. Let's pray. Lord, keep us from being people who honor you just with our lips, who have hearts far from you. Lord, we long to be thirsty for you to enjoy your presence, to delight in you and you alone. Keep us from formalism, Lord, and from dryness and expand our ability to drink more of you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we will pant after you and never be content with the communion that we have with you now when we, you have told us to seek you, to long for you in an ever-increasing desire. We ask this because Jesus Christ died for us and rose again and sent your Holy Spirit to make us thirsty for you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.